Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do we want to get right? When, when you learn to do something to a certain standard, it's really hard to, to be below that, you know. Um, consequently, we've ended up being in a situation where we, we're our own worst enemy in that respect. Do we want to get right? We've made a couple of albums that have sort of ended up being blueprints for the way that rock's going to go for the next couple of years, you know, which... We sort of half intended to a point, when we did the Pyromania album, we actually did specifically say to each other, let's try and do something that nobody's ever done before. Do we want to get right? And then with the Hysteria album, the same thing happened. And we just set a, a, like, it's like a precedent that we had to follow and improve on what we'd already done. We didn't want to just put out Pyromania part two. So with Hysteria, we made a specific effort to make it even bigger and better. Do we want to get right? More of the energy of the Pyromania record with the songwriting capability that we kind of got to almost down to, you know, a fine art on, on the Hysteria record. Hysteria was a great record for 1987. It was an album that we really had to make to prove a point. Um, we didn't feel the need to prove a point on this one. All we wanted to do was make a good record. So consequently, all we were worried about were writing great songs. the production thing and and what have you on, on Hysteria this time round we wanted the guitars up a bit louder the vocals a bit rougher not so polished um, so the energy came across a little bit more obviously but we didn't want to lose our audience by just reverting back to doing riffy stuff again there are riffs within the song but only if the song warrants it Welcome to March Badness. Today we feature an album that wins the bracket hands down. Def Leppard's Adrenalize. Welcome to Corpus and Fire. I'm your host, LC, and I'm joined, as always, with the average, ordinary, everyday dude, Baco. How are you, sir? You want to get rocked? I've been waiting. Yes. Yes. Well, it's March Badness. We asked people we didn't forget it. We weren't able to do a whole month of March Badness, but we're going to close it out with uh, some pretty bad badness, I think. Yes, and uh, it, I, this one came uh, almost like a phoenix rising, if you want to, th- if you want to think about it that way, where we were just kind of going over a few, and I threw some out, and as soon as I got to this one, you immediately gravitated towards it. Yes. 
Yeah, it was uh, out of the list we were kind of going through. Um, once we hit this one, it, it, that was when the bulb was like, okay, that because we had some ones that were strong contenders that we might touch on later, but sure, this one was like, that's it. That's the record. That fucking album sucks. And uh, there was a lot of um, a lot of anger on my end when I when I came to, to be, for for a multitude of reasons. But all of a sudden, it just it 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 definitely you know it hit it hit all the buttons of March Badness. It really did. Checked all the boxes, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it won the bracket. It really, yeah. For for a tournament that doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah, no doubt. This is what you get, people. It's this, and I think um, Shout It Out Loudcast is doing a, a Kiss song bracket. Ooh. Um, but, uh, you know, as of course, which is pointless at this point, because I already did the perfect ranking of every Kiss song, so we know Deuce is going to win. Sure. And we've actually, uh, uh, as a just a uh, a thing for the public, we've actually offered this, and ESPN is going to feature it on their on their on ESPN four. Nice. <laughs> yeah, we're live. <laughs> we're we're uh, webcam recording this, and it's going to be uh, a part of their coverage. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> they got to fill twenty four hours with something. Well, just to catch people up, we've actually cut done a Def Leppard record. Go back and listen to our Hysteria record. Yeah. Um. And and I'll just say for me personally, uh, Pyromania is number one, and Hysteria is number two. On Through the Night and High and Dry have some tracks I dig, but I don't think either one of those are strong albums. The point being is that uh, I don't think either one of us come from the the angle that Def Leppard sucks and has always sucked, even though this album clearly sucks. What about you? That, that's, that pretty much summarizes for me, too. It goes, that's the exact order, first four albums, solid. And, uh, yeah, like I said, go check out that album. We we definitely are, are, are just like what you just said, not haters, but... My God! Yeah, people I mean, were surprised. I know a couple of my friends were surprised at how much love I had for that album. But uh. yeah, I mean, it's it's all like going back to it, and and you know, you got you got to respect the the craft, if you will, uh, too. And, and and they have legit, they they are famous, uh, and I, I think that Def Leppard is perfectly rated. Um, yeah, yeah, no, they you know uh, I mean? um, they're highly regarded. They're on tour this summer. I don't know if you heard, but uh, well. Maybe tentatively, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All tours are a little uh, questionable right now. By the t- I think we'll know a little more by the time this episode drops. But uh, yeah, we're recording this uh, on the f- basically the midway part of March and just at the beginning of all the hysteria going on in the country. Hey, hysteria! Hey now, yeah. And to that point about actually liking Def Leppard, I was looking forward to this album, and you know, this came out in '92, so we we're. You know, all the uh, the big four of grunge have, have made their way into the scene. Things are changing. And I was looking forward to it for a multitude of reasons. One is to kind of get more of that, you know, um, I guess 80s, 80s dose of rock. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's that's also why it was <laughs> such a disappointment. But you want to give it's us some weird facts? That actually, and I, know, I know they had some drama going on, but uh, and we'll obviously get into all that, but... Uh, odd, odd that because four, remember four years was a giant chunk of time in the eighties to to have between albums. <clears throat> so from Pyromania to Hysteria taking that long, or was that was Pyromania eighty two? I thought it was eighty three. Pyromania is eighty three, then eighty seven. Okay, and then yeah. So it is five. a four year gap there. Now five years for the follow up. Right. Um, I can tell you from my perspective, if there was any uh, anticipation on my end for this record, it was lost when I heard the o- opening song. Now. I will give it to them that part of that five-year delay is the fact that I think they were still touring and putting out singles is 
as far out, remember it came out in 87, as far out as the end of 89. I'm going to guess that this, because that, they put out seven singles. And uh, am I right on that? Yeah, we covered that on the the history. There were seven singles. The plan was to do nine. Right. And if you if you bought the the forty fives with the picture sleeve, all nine put together would recreate the album cover. Yeah. So how how uh, I mean, but how late was that last single put out? The last single Rocket was released in January of nineteen eighty nine. Wow. But they were done touring by October of eighty eight. So I oh. mean, they were still pushing that record. Uh, pretty hard, uh, even though they weren't, you know, touring was supposed to be a way to promote an album, but, uh, they were like, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need to, I guess. No, not really at that point. Uh, it, uh, I mean, the, the whole history of hysteria is pretty interesting. So again, I would encourage people to go back and check out our episode on that. And, uh, because we get into all the details, the, the, the backstory in that one, but the, yeah, with this one. Basically, they stopped touring in '88, and I don't I don't know what they were doing for a long time. But 1991, I think they were getting ready to release it when Steve Clark died, um, and, and so they basically spent a year kind of trying to figure out what to do there. I somewhere in the recording process, he was sent home, give, put on indefinite hiatus as they did it while they continued to work on the album. But um, as we will go into it here, he gets quite a bit of songwriting credit on here. Yeah, which I was uh, quite surprised. Now. Yeah, respect the dead, man. Uh, uh, we are. Uh, no, I'm saying Def Leppard. So that was a mean thing to do to give him songwriting credit on some oh. of these things. <laughs> okay, okay, I see what you're saying. <laughs> uh, maybe that for the Steve Clark estate, but uh, but yes, and, and, I guess. And, and, but, uh, and, and, and for this man's reputation has been sullied. <laughs> for this, re- they, they weren't they weren't anticipating this podcast, though. You're right. The other thing that was interesting about this, though, too, was was I in my head had always thought this was a Mutt Lang creation. But you have, but that is not completely accurate. Correct. Yeah, mainly Def Leppard working with a guy named uh, Mike Battiers Shipley, uh, and and they they kind of are listed as co-producers. Mutt Lang was involved in somehow, but he's only listed as an executive producer, and we all know that means it's probably more contractual with uh, something to do with how they got him to work with him in the first place. You know. Yeah, which which that I remember his name being on it, and I guess. Um, at the time, maybe I didn't understand the difference between executive and and producer and and, and yeah. things like that. Because to me, this album, I mean, is I guess the definition of what a Mutt Lang overproduction would be. You know what I mean? Like that's that's why I, I'm surprised he didn't. I, I, I disagree a little bit. This is the definition of a Mutt Lang Def Leppard produced record. Hmm. And and honestly, it's only in, when you compare it to Hysteria, which it seems like a lot of their their, their change in sound was to accommodate the drums. Um, where because you listen to to Pyromania, it's a straight up hard rock album, and Mutt did that. Uh, well, and and look at what <laughs> Mutt did with ACDC and and other artists. I, I wouldn't say you know Def I mean? Leppard sound is his signature stamp, other oh. than with Def Leppard. Okay, but but when he was past Hysteria, though, that was basically what he was hired to do for pop or anything like that. Was that overproduction slick slick style? Sure. Pat, he, he, Shania Twain, whatever. I mean, but if you look at his <laughs> resume, like that is basically what he's he's known uh, to do past there, because that's how he I think he made his mark was that album. It was going to take a specific amount of time, and we were going to do an album with Mutt. And uh, basically, the Brad Adams album was taking longer and longer to do, because um, when you work with Mutt, there's no such thing as like delivery dates. It's just finished when it's finished, which is the way to work, really. I think budgets and, and time 
things are not good for music. And um, he likes to work in such a way that it's only done when it's done. And that's great for Brian, and it's been great for us in the past, but at this particular time, we just wanted to get on with it. So we said, we can't wait any longer. And I think it was a big relief to Mutt as well. And he said, great, you know, because he didn't want to rush the Brian Adams thing. And he said, well, you know, you guys can make this record on your own. Uh, you've worked with me long enough. And we had, we'd worked with him for 10 years. So had Mike Shipley, who would co-produce the album with us. He'd been the engineer on the last three albums that we'd done with Mutt. And um, so we said, let's go for it. And, and he gave us, uh, it, it was his blessing almost. You know, he said, look, you know, you can do it, but if you get stuck or you want a third ear, just give me a ring, you know. Brian won't mind. And luckily for us, he didn't. And sometimes he'd even answer the phone. I'd go, I put more on, we've got to play him something. And, oh, no, let me hear it first, you know. So it was good. And he'd give his opinion. It's fine, leave it alone, or maybe you should change this. So we gave him um, a sort of executive production credit because he was there when we wrote and arranged the songs. We'd get together for four songs at a time and work on stuff, and then we could go in the studio and record it. Well, after much delay in uh, dealing with the loss of their guitar player, Steve Clark, uh, Adrenalize was finally released on March 31st, 1992, my birthday. Uh, came out on Mercury Records. Um, oh, let's see here. It was recorded at uh, Wizzy Lourdes Studios in Dublin, um, it comes in at a whopping 45 minutes and 22 seconds. Not too bad. Only 10 tracks. Uh, and like we said, this was produced by a guy named Mike Shipley and Def Leppard. Uh, but, uh, Mike also goes by the nickname of Bat Ears, like I mentioned before. Uh, sure. Yeah. They also, they claim here that they had seven singles off of this, but, uh, I don't remember most of them. <laughs> it says seven singles on this? Yeah. What's, but it actually debuted... Give me some chart positions here. All right. Let's see here. This did very well uh, on release. Uh, it debuted at number one in the U.S., Australia, New Zealand, and the U.K. album charts. Uh, surprisingly, I <laughs> I can't believe this fucking thing sold four million copies in the United States. But it did. It did. Yeah. I, I, although, you know, as someone who uh, you know, spent a good chunk of the 90s uh, shuffling through pawn shop CD collections and used record stores... I think I've seen about three and a half million of these uh, back in in uh, for resale. But I think it was it was it was like this in that uh, Arrested Development record that everybody got arrest uh, uh, all fired up about in the early nineties. And extreme three sides to every story. So one of the reasons I was looking forward to this album was a review in Rolling Stone. If I if I may quote from it, please. Yeah. All right. Generally speaking, it's time to worry when the term long-awaited gets appended to an album. Long-awaited doesn't just mean the band in question took a sweet time delivering the disc. Usually it's industry code for bloated and overblown. Except, that is, <laughs> when the long-awaited release in question is the work of Def Leppard. Yet, regardless of the time spent in the studio, Def Leppard's albums never seem especially labored or overwrought. Really? If, if anything, the opposite is true. The band's music seems so effortlessly accessible that most listeners probably don't even notice the incredible amount of craft that goes into each release. When I was, um, I don't know, in my teen years, a buddy of mine were at one of the malls shopping for music, and, and he bought uh, the first Kiss album on cassette, and when he opened it, it had Dress to Kill on cassette on the inside. Uh, so these packaging errors happened. Maybe the copy they got had, like, uh, 
um, pyromania in it. <laughs> and, I'd uh, explain it, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, this sounds very overwrought and very, like, meticulous. And I wouldn't say it's bloated, but uh, it seems like almost everything else they say this record isn't, it is. Yeah, well, we're going to keep going here because I think you're going to yeah, be okay. more amused. Um and thank you, Rolling Stone, for this content. Uh, there is no overriding concept to the album, no sense of the groups confronting its demons or wrestling with the problems of the world. Instead, what we get okay. is a seemingly unending string of energetic, hook-heavy, gosh-we-love-em songs about girls. A perfect Def Leppard album, in other words. And that's not meant sarcastically, because truth be told, it's far easier to prop up several couplets of self-revelation with a few heavy metal riffs than it is to turn an idea as commonplace as romantic desire into a song as memorable and classic as Have You Ever Needed Someone So Bad? (laughs) It's memorable. Yeah, remember what I say, folks. Catchy doesn't mean good. It just means catchy. But that's what Def Leppard does best, and Adrenalize is easily the band's most consistent effort to date. Just listen to all the sonic detail crammed into the album opening. Let's get rocked. <laughs> uh, I'll agree with the consistent. This thing does not let you down from the first note to the ending. It's like listening to several really bad songs written for one record. It's very consistent. <laughs> it is. Um, although rhythmically, the song is an obvious descendant of Pour Some Sugar On Me, playing off a throbbing Rick Savage bass line. (laughs) Stylistically. Uh, The Sav. Listen, stylistically, it's miles beyond the last album, full of clever puns like Uh. let's get the rock out of here. (laughs) Special effects. For example, when Elliot complains about his girlfriend's fondness for classical music, the band mockingly answers with a snippet of Beethoven's fifth. An all kind of stagey good humor, yet the leps work these gimmicks in so gracefully they never interrupt the music's flow, acting not as an unnecessary contrivances, but simply as another level of hook. Can we just call the BS meter and that this is a fucking press release written by the actual uh, uh, label? Because that, That's my theory, yeah. I mean, because that stuff was a, uh, a lot less known about back then, you know, we were uh, even though the grunge was heavily going, we were still a little less jaded when it came to our rock and roll publications. Yeah, I mean this, this, this. And by the way, they gave this uh, five stars is the max you can ever an album can ever get in Rolling Stone. That's known as a classic. Four is excellent. Three is good. This got four and a half stars. And at this point, this review and me purchasing this album made me. Cancel my Rolling Stone subscription. This combined with some some uh, the the whole thing where they didn't even mention Eric Carr's death and all this other kind of stuff. I was it kind of kind of just slowly showed what a what a sham that that magazine was. But this is exactly what you and I are sent all the time by email about a new album's release from 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 like a press release, right? How it's yeah, written. That definitely reads like a press release, not like an actual review. Yeah. Um. I don't know. So, Whatever. Anyway, I find that very amusing, especially the uh, <laughs> the stuff about Let's Get Rocked, uh, which we're going to go into right now, I think. Before we get into the track by track, I would like to just kind of set a little bit of the stage on how I got to hear the whole record anyway. Uh, obviously, the video for Let's Get Rocked came out, and I, I checked out. I was like, that is really, really, really bad. Even the video was bad. It was like... Well- 
like they they hadn't realized that technology had moved on since the Dire Straits did the Money for Nothing video. It's well, it's just as blocky and crappy as that. Yeah, well, that's what I was gonna say. It, it took everything that was was cool about that video and did the the exact opposite. Yeah, uh, there's nothing cool about the video if you ask me. But uh, <laughs> I love the original video. But my uh, my uh, um, hetero life mate at the time, Wilson, you know, still one of my best friends, lives out there in Denver with you. He was uh, he never really uh, bailed on any of the '80s bands. You know, even he got into grunge, but he kept, you know, every fucking Warrant album came out. He got all that stuff. So of course, this was one he had to have, and he played the crap out of it for a while. Anyway, when I was listening to the record back, I texted him. I, I said, "Listening to Adrenalitis for the show. Oh my god, this record is horrible." And uh, his response was, that's right, uh, uh, only two good songs. And, you know, some people might wonder what two he's talking about. I said, I checked the math, and you were off by two. So. <laughs> no kidding. You're right that was that. my show prep. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, anyway, let's, uh, if you're ready, we can get into this fucking thing. So, yes, I mean, the, the, I guess the whole thing is that the Def Leppard decided that in this new, you know, uh, world, that this would be the video to lead with, this cartoon that's going to go on, uh, on on MTV, which I don't think was well advised. No, it's like how it would, if anything, it showed how out of touch they were with what was going on. Yeah, and I, I'm not talking about. The, I'm glad they kind of stuck with their overall sound, saying this is who we are. Sure, you know, uh, even though I think eventually they tried to do something a little more contemporary with with a it was slang the next record. I can't remember, but uh, it. I'm just saying. This video was a bad decision. It's not 1982 anymore. No, the the video was bad. I'm not sure if Rick Savage just all of a sudden started taking lessons from Bobby Dahl because this this ba- I mean, come on, the, the whole song "Let's Get Rocked." I'm continue. I'm still waiting to get rocked from the song. It never rocks. I'm gonna flat out disagree with you there. the The problem with this song is not the bass line. Uh, and look, you know. Some songs only need something simple on bass. You don't want the bass to dominate everything. But, uh, and yeah, I agree. It's not a clever bass line. But if I'm going back to the drawing board on this thing, I would just throw it away. I, it's not because, well, this would have been a good tune if Rick would have, you know, pulled off a little triad there. What this track needed was Billy Sheehan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Billy was actually offered the, the opportunity to record this track three times, and he said no each time. I heard that, the metal voice. Maybe another problem with this, if you're not saying that's the problem, how about the lyrics? The lyrics are a huge problem, yeah. Do you mind if uh, we kind of just dissect this a little bit? Yeah, let's go. Let's uh, get into the mind of a nine-year-old who's never had sex what he thinks sex is like. That's what I think of this song. Yeah. Oh, you think that's what this is? Yeah, this is... <laughs> Okay. Uh, it's it's unreal. It was like it was like um, Joe Elliott found a lyric book he had from like middle school, and said, "I'm using it. This is gold." If this is from his lyric book when he was a kid, then Joe Elliott was a little prick kid that I would have, <laughs> I'd have had. I would have had to beat the living shit out of this kid as a, as a child. my son, I ask him to mow the lawn or do basic things like walk the dog, clean my room, take out the trash. Mm-hmm. He gives me all this shit. And he says, if he says, not my style, man, 
Done. <laughs> Disowned. That's the answer you get for that. By the way, not my style man is not the answer for any question ever in your life. Not my style man. Again, you know, yeah, you, you, you're picking apart not my style man as the worst lyric on here and the bass playing as the two biggest problems. It's like uh, you're, it's almost like you're a guy who quotes movies but doesn't quote the quotable parts. <laughs> what you, what, you, you suppose a rock's out of the question? Uh, I got a little story there. Do you want to start? We should break these lyrics down, though. You're, okay. Well, yeah, do, you want, do you want to read it like a uh, deaf poetry dram, or what, what, do you, what do you want me to do? I say we just go for it. Yeah, it's like, uh, I, well, I, the opening, the first thing you hear on this fucking album is Joe Elliott going, do you want to get rock? And, and it's clear I don't think him and I are on the same page right off the bat. <laughs> I kind of do, but I don't think what you're proposing doesn't sound like what I want. You're just not. You're just not vibing right off that question. You don't. You're, you're right away. The way he says that is just. It's like I don't even. Who is this man? You know what? I think <laughs> not my just, style, man. Exactly. <laughs> That's the answer. Do we want to get right? Not my style, man. Um, I'll say if anybody says, would you like to check, uh, what do you think of this fedora? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. See, there we go. Um, would you like these galoshes? Not my style, man. No, it could be raining though. I could be happy in them. It's true. Anyway, but what I like is after the first verse, you know, he says, you know, just like we did intro the show that I'm your average, ordinary, everyday kid, which almost sounds like the Joe Walsh lyric, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, but, but then I like how he flips it. And in the second verse, he's he's your average, ever ordinary, everyday dude, right? It's not really a flip. He's he's growing up now. Oh, so see, I didn't understand that he actually is getting older through, through verse one, verse two. That's how I interpret it. But you know, uh, it's it's hard to get into the the brains of Joel Elliott. Out of the okay, okay, okay. So the first verse, he's just being a little prick and won't do any chores. Next thing you know, he's with his lady because he's driving with yeah. his baby to get her in the mood, dialing through my radio and ready to make my move. What she ain't, uh, but what she got ain't rock and roll, and it really blew his groove. And she starts playing classical music. Now, first off, he must not have. He knows this. He, don't at this point, don't you think you should know? Uh, the girl you're going out with at least to know what kind of musical taste she has. This shouldn't be that big of a shock for her to just jam all uh, the classic radio channel, right? Yeah, but he was he was getting different squish every night. You know what I mean? So <laughs> was he, oh, yeah, he wasn't taking a... time to get to know these ladies. <laughs> but that's not an average, ordinary, everyday dude then. Yeah. I agree. Uh, and that's but, an extraordinary you know, I, dude. If you if you could very, not, he lived a very sheltered life. Like I said, uh, if, he, if if he did not know this lady was had it tuned into AM radio with her convertible. Um, then that, he is definitely getting around a lot. Yeah? Yeah, prep, prep school is not a way to, to become a great rock musician. Mm, I see, yes. But, uh, yeah, and then, then that's when he poses, uh, I'm sorry, girl, here's my confession. I suppose a rock's out of the question. Your thoughts? 
you know, um, there's uh, a Def Leppard group uh, that uh, I'm, of course, a member of. Um, and I was basically try- trying to find out shit about, you know, t- get some fan perspective on this record. See kind of how where the fans feel on this one now. Get the temperature of it. Um, somebody brought up a question. It's like, what's one of your favorite things that, that Joe Elliott does live in concert? So it's one of those kind of groups, you know what I mean? Where it's just like, do, you know, name your top five songs from Hysteria, that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, someone said... Uh, and this is a dude saying this, uh, and and I, I checked out his profile page. If his picture is him, he's in his forties or fifties, something like that. He's been a fan for a while, as I'm getting. It's, this is not a teenager sure. just discovering the band. He's like, I saw him somewhere, and it was awesome because instead of saying, I suppose rocks out of the question, he says, I suppose a blowjob's out of the question. That was awesome, man. That's that sounds like a single entendre. Yeah, that's just a single entendre. I just can't imagine you know, like being that old going into some Def Leppard group. I'm like, man, isn't it awesome when he says, this is a, I suppose, a blowjob instead of, a, I suppose, a rock's out of the question. <laughs> that's that's the that's my impersonation of a Def Leppard fan. But, yeah, a rock is out of the question. I This girl clearly is too good for him. He's a average, ordinary, everyday dude, and she's got some highfalutin taste. She probably, you know, has cheese and wine with Lou Senior. Exactly. Uh, socials. Yeah. I mean, this guy. And plus, he how much Def Leppard does your dad spin on an average day? <laughs> <laughs> he was, you know, Lou Senior was just cranking. Uh, he's more, he's more of a high and dry guy, though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, he, he knows the good stuff. But you know, uh, and then it actually has the lyric. Uh, Heaven knows I'm sick and tired of dancing with this broom. What does dancing with this broom mean? Does that mean master? Is that an old, old, oldie time uh, uh, masturbation <laughs> term? Dancing with I'm a gonna broom? I'm going to say yes, just because, you know, I'm a fan of uh, uh, masturbatory references. <laughs> <laughs> it's dancing with my broom, baby. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm calling it right now. That that's a new term. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah th- these lyrics could not have been more juvenile or stupid or bad for the time. Yeah, Again, yeah. how the fuck did this become the lead single on an album that sold four million copies? I know people were buying more music back then, but come on, have some fucking standards, you know? I mean, I, I my only guess is that like people were, were like... Well, it can't all be this bad. <laughs> you know? uh, like just on their track record alone, they sold two million, I hope. Yeah. And I think that's what it is, is that I think what hysterious. I don't know at the time how much it sold, but I think it sold close to 10 during that time, I think. Right. Or five yeah, or six. Yeah, or, something like that. I mean, we again, we covered it. But right, uh, but, but my point is, per, uh, you know, percentage wise of it, what it was is I think exactly what you're talking about is is. The the Rolling Stone review is what made me buy the album, by the way. Mm-hmm. I heard, just like you, I heard Let's Get Rocked, and I said, okay, don't really like this song, pretty pretty silly, but I'm still going to get this because of all this amazing, uh, you know. And it wasn't just Rolling Stone. I couldn't find a bad review anywhere from back in the day. Um, so that that's what did it. Is it's, I think that's what it is. It's a conspiracy, man. Yeah, you know, who knows what the payoff there was. I, I can't remember if there was a cover story on Def Leppard. They got an exclusive or, or something like oh, that. Oh, come on. Uh, I'm sure it, it went something like that, you know. And um, and MTV, you know, even though we were, you know, basically 
I think Evenflow was just about to dominate everything that MTV played around that time. Uh, this this song and this video got a shit ton of play. Not just this um, video, other ones too uh, from the album. Well, we, but we're on this song. I right know. Now, I'm just saying, that. like that's how much how much influence they still had. You're right. Yeah, no, and and uh, it also kind of you know sums up that you know grunge didn't really kill metal. It just took took some of the smaller, yep, uh, the low flying targets, the slow moving targets out of the out of the equation. But um, I can't believe they still fucking play this song. It's like who who goes and says, "Man, I can't fucking wait till they play this." Other than that guy who really wants them to say the blowjob joke, <laughs> which I which I didn't hear when I saw them open when I did saw the the Kiss Def Leopard. Uh, show they did not say the blowjob, but they did play yeah. this. They played based they on the comments after that. Some people have seen it and some haven't. Wow. So, uh, okay. They do it. Uh, he does. It's something that Joe Perry only pulls out, or Joe Perry, Joe Elliott only whips out. Uh, you know when he's in the mood. So I'm assuming that you be, you join this group only <laughs> to post the latest episode. <laughs> I'm sure I became a member of it when I was when we were uh, promoting the hysteria. Oh episode. yes, yeah. that's true. That that probably is going to uh, get a much better uh, uh, response than this one. It may shock the listener to know that uh, those kind of fan groups, while I, I, they're fine, do it. I, I'm not judging them. If people are getting some enjoyment and talking about their favorite artists. I'm all for that. Just not my thing. I, I the stuff I like enjoy talking about never gets talked about in there, and nobody has a sense of humor, so you can't crack any jokes. Oh, you mean so? This is Def Leppard facts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, there's always a chance that Vic Ruiz might see something that's slightly off, and then write a basically a, a dissertation on on explaining what was right. <laughs> oh my god, that's good. Uh, I love Vic. He's a love good Vic. guy. Vic. Love Vic. Now, Vic's got a sense of humor. He'll probably laugh at that. Hopefully, otherwise, I'll. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll start. I'll get a, something to somebody open my mail for me for a while. Yeah, but just so you know, everybody, Victor, not a doctor. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, check him out. He's occasionally on. Uh, what's his podcast? Mars Mars Attacks podcast. Plus, he's uh, he he joins Mark Striegel on Talking Metal quite a bit. So, and you know what? He's been my go-to source for new releases. He has that article he does every Friday. So I'm like, oh, that's right. What's coming up? That's right. So realize we bust your balls. We love you. What's the next track? Or what? what do you have anything else? No, to say it doesn't about this? even matter, really. I don't I, even. I, 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 don't, I don't think so. I think that I think that's uh. So I basically remember the consistency is what we're getting right. But I will yeah. tell you this much too. Um, this I'm going to say it right now. Second best song on the album. Let's get rocked. Oh man, I'm not. I refuse to rank these. That's. Oh, I'm not. I'm too. only. I'm not ranking. I'm not ranking any of them except for the fact that I. I can tell you that if it's a big heap of shit, that this is mm-hmm. the cherry on top of that shit Sunday. Oh right, right. But I think this is. It's an insult to list to 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 rank any of these in any. I just. I. I, I think they're all so bad. They. They just shouldn't have even been recorded. Next. <laughs> next. Next song. Uh, track two is a track called Heaven Is. It comes in at three minutes and 33 seconds, which is half satanic. Um, Ooh, written true. by Steve Clark, uh, Phil Collin, Joe Elliott, Mutt Lang, and Rick the Sav Savage. So that's quite a clusterfuck of people. How many minutes did each one of them contribute to this pile of shit? Yeah, well, like I just said, the number second, this by far is, the is. I, knew, I know you said it was an insult for... For uh, for lists, this song, eh, <laughs> not that bad. I'll give it to this one. This one could have been an almost track on a hysteria. Yeah, I'll say it. 
It would have just made hysteria this song worse. I don't know. It's it, is it any worse what song than you uh, picking off? Huh? What? Yeah. What song are you taking off? Oh boy, I don't have it in front of me, but but one of the la- like the last song on the album, I would take this over whatever that last song is on Hysteria, the one that's like a really slow ballad that I can't ever remember, and always turned it off. I think we you know what I'm talking about. I'll look at it real quick. But, but anyway, th- this song this song is is not as offensive as the rest of them. It takes a good woman to play a good man, and no one plays like heaven can. And this is the of of all the tracks on the album. This is definitely one uh, that makes me want to whip off my shirt and do about a thousand crunches like uh, Phil Collin. Grease up. What do you think? Yeah, this makes me want to rip off my shirt and run <laughs> away from the music, away from speakers. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I don't. I, it, you know, it was a dangerous time while this record was out that you might be somewhere and accidentally hear it. Uh, so you had to. I remember like basically spending you know a good year and a half just. You know, being very cautious on where I entered, where it, there's a higher probability that I'll hear Adrenalize today. Well, I do have to say that it is odd that uh, the the narrative all always is the fact that if Steve Clark hadn't died, then yeah. Def Leppard would have kept on rocking. And this is the first song of one, two, I think seven out of the ten songs list Steve Clark not only in the the uh, the the list of people that contribute to the songs, but usually first. 
Yeah, no, a lot of them, yeah. Um, I, you know, my theory on that is they actually acknowledged that this was bad, but it was, took so much work to get it done. They're like, if that's the best we can do in five years, uh, boy, I don't think we, it's worth redoing. So what they do is they just, you know, like I said, they shit on the dead. They uh, they kind of just threw his name as the lead songwriter. And that way, you know, people go, that was bad. It's like, well, you know, Steve wrote it and liked it a lot, so... <laughs> Yeah. Then how do you? We, we did it. We did it as a favor to him and his family. Yeah. With that said, that's my conspiracy theory. He didn't do any of this shit. He's <laughs> it, the band did die with him and their ability to write good songs. You know, uh, Phil Collin had an interesting comment about recording this. Um, because apparently Steve's playing only appears in a couple of very minor moments uh, from some some early tracking they did, but uh, so Phil was sitting there with him when he played the original parts and he said I could relay that but it was like I was playing along to a ghost and and he would go on to say that he would play Steve's parts the way Steve would play them is there anything stylistically unique about the performance of this record or Hysteria I just there they don't those records because they're so polished they really don't ooze like wow that's that signature Rick Savage bass tone no, it's a very fucking, you know, uh, uh, modulated, uh, compressed, you know, lifeless kind of performance. And this album more so than Hysteria. Yeah, it's it's layers upon layers. But, uh, but yeah. I, you know, I will back up your your whole conspiracy thing about, <laughs> about, about uh, the Steve Clark, you know. Billy um, Sheehan told me that, by the way. Yeah, I know. I, blabbermouth. <laughs> Uh, that that's a headline, um, uh. <laughs> but uh, but but yeah, but, but I'm not sure if you knew this, but Euphoria actually the the original title was just called Steve. <laughs> Do you have anything else on Heaven Is? No, it's it sucks. Okay, because the next song is when <laughs> from the from the from from the from the title alone, I said okay, it looks like that uh, Joe Elliott is watching a lot of Popeye. Because that's exactly the thing. I make love like a man. Like, a, that's what I am. I am what I am. That's all that I am. I make love like a man. say like uh, I've I've always mentioned this about uh, men who were into poison that they were just kind of sad uh-huh you know like if you were really a big poison fan and you were a dude there's just coming a little off with you I think by this point we can say that about Def Leppard if this song didn't get you to go whoa whoa why are my testicles sucking up into my body right now <laughs> uh, I don't know what would I mean it's almost like you're 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 oblivious to the fact that this is a really 
stupid, sappy, very demasculating song, which is weird because there's some fucking pretty sick misogyny coming up on this record. But this song is just like, yeah, but it's like it's like Michael Bolton trying to be heavy. It's just it doesn't really work. I don't know. That's right out the gate. Yeah, that's that's what I am. First off, if you're a man, you do not say the phrase make love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm getting at. There is not a fucking rocking way to say make love. No. It, it, the monkeys, they don't do it. They care. make a love. <laughs> like, like even even that, I can never take that. That's one of the reasons that I've never liked Bad Company is that song. I, I can't take it. I cannot take that song. Mm, yeah. And uh, no. I'll lightly rock you to fuck town, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's. I'm looking at the actual lyrics are, uh, it, which sounds almost like Tarzan. Make love like a man. I'm a. I'm a man. Like you just realized, I'm a man. That's what I am. Uh. 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 Yeah. These some some more great lyrics. Don't call me Gigolo. Don't call me Casanova. Just call me on the phone and baby, come on over. When you need someone to, you need someone to make love like uh, a man. Uh. I'm a man. That's what I am. Uh, I got yeah, maybe the the album should have started with "Do you want to be light light rocked?" Uh, <laughs> yeah, you want to. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I also like the fact that he actually says that I'm Mister Fun. Anybody tells you he's Mister Fun is about to rape you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey kids, do you like ice cream? You want to have some fun? Yeah. Come in my van. This song is what pushed Steve Clark to drink. (laughs) (laughs) Drunk himself to death the day he heard this in the studio. (laughs) (laughs) It's been long enough, right? I can. uh, No, it's no, it's uh, it's it's long enough. It's not it's not too soon, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I. I'm not mm. feeling it, mates. <laughs> you know, a, a real quick note on Steve Clark. He's probably one of the um, best examples of proper guitar to crotch ratio. His guitar to crotch ratio is amazing. He gets that fucker way down, man. <laughs> That's good to know. Looks cool, man. Yeah. Is there? But yeah. Bit- the, who's, it, who else like is on Phil that Collin, chart? Meanwhile, is just like fucking working on his Peloton when he's you know between you know drum solos and stuff like that and sure. just coming out shirtless with his fucking nipples extra pokey yeah i was wondering when, when he he was this the zone where he started to do that like he was he was almost overcompensating yeah. he had to be yeah had, definitely um i mean it, it seems like he's even more so now than ever like i'm 70 years old <laughs> uh, <laughs> I and i can I still think... kick your ass but uh um yeah he definitely was it started on hysteria from my, my perspective and then he cut his hair shorter and just started really fucking going to the gym and yeah. riding out and you know, making sure he had baby lotion to go on tour with, so he always looks sweaty. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I think he did an entire interview on that metal show, shirtless. If I remember <laughs> right, it's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, Troy Lucetta liked that joke. I asked him uh, when because uh, he produced the the most recent Tesla record, and I uh, I asked him. He was like, you know, what was it like working with him, and he was like telling me, and I was like, did he wear a shirt? <laughs> he immediately got what I was saying. Yeah, exactly. So maybe he didn't. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's go, chaps. Yeah. Is that uh, from from that point forth, uh, all Def Leppard Studios smelled like a tanning booth. <laughs> <laughs>
That's why it took so long. Yeah, he had to fucking tan between uh, songs. Like, well, I can do one track, but I got to do six minutes in the tanning. That's right. It's, it all adds up. Adds up. Adds up to years. All those six minutes add up. Uh, what, what's next? The song tonight. This one, I actually, I, I listened to this on a loop in my office. Uh, the whole record for uh, about six hours. Not true. I and that was about a week ago. Not true. I don't even remember this song. Tonight, yeah, no. Um, I, I I listened to this yesterday, and I don't remember it. So <laughs> I cannot name that song in ten notes. No, no way. You could play the entire song; it would end, and I, they would ask me, "What's the name of that song?" I still don't know the name of this song. Another pile of shit they blame Steve Clark for, also written by Phil Collins, Joe Elliott, Mutt Lang, and, and Rick the Sav Savage. Again, kind of a clusterfuck of songwriting on all this stuff. It almost seems like they spread it just a little too far. Uh, four minutes and three seconds. I have nothing to say. Um, I like the Motley Crue song tonight better than this one. That's how bad this is. Yeah. Um, I, I think I'm, we're just going to move past this, this song. Good enough. White Light. That was their sixth single off the record, by the way, released March 83. So the next track is White Lightning. And this is the one that I remember had a lot of, let's just call it uh, press or some, you know, uh, lots of stuff to write about. Because supposedly this is one of the only tracks that really has Steve Clark playing on it. Like, yeah, and it's supposed to be about him and, and what he was going through or something, or, or at least inspired. Yeah. This one is kind of basically, it's a, a bad version of your, what I call, the Baco mating call, God's of War. Mm. Yeah, that's, I, I thought the same thing. I literally wrote God's of War down here. Um, but instead of starting side two, it ends side one. Seven minutes and three seconds, and written by Steve Clark, uh, Phil Collins, Joe Elliott, Mutt Lang, and Rick Savage. Again, the same five that are getting most of the songwriting credit here. Yeah. Uh, at least so far. Track five. Uh, this song is okay, I guess. Uh, I, I really hate quantifying anything on this record because I, I i it just the, there's nothing redeeming about it when i listen to to it front to back uh if there was a standout track this might be it but i don't know this I is just, this this song here's here's what i'll say about this of these 10 songs this is the one song that doesn't sound like an actual product yeah um but at the same time it's still not that it's still not a good song like there's still not, like if you asked me to hum this song, I couldn't do it. There's some maybe decent guitar playing on it or something, but it's seven minutes. It doesn't really go anywhere. It's a really shitty Gods of War. That's what I would say. It is, yeah. yeah. And I like Gods of War. So do I. I love Gods of War. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's White Lightning. Um, I mean, you know, they might have just ran out of steam. You know what I mean? It might have been I, – I, bands do that. You know I mean? For, you know, getting, getting as far as they did with uh, Hysteria – it, they might have just peaked and fell off a cliff. I don't know, but uh, this—if this is the best song—that just shows you how weak this fucking record is, man.
Yeah, and at this point too, you're at you're five tracks into this as, as a listener, and there's it's pretty much uh, the scraps of hysteria, and this mm. is maybe I would say that even though this song doesn't isn't like the cookie cutter stuff of the the first four ones, you're still left with nothing of the first three albums really before no, hysteria. Really. So you're getting like just shitty versions of hysteria songs, which will continue. Yeah. Yep, basically, yeah. This is kind of like Hysteria Light. Uh-huh. Um, and the weird thing is that this album clocks in at about 20 minutes less than Hysteria, and it feels way longer. Yeah, it does. It's just like, does, when does this get over? <laughs> and I got to tell you, and also I'll say that that just like I said, that uh, Heaven Is is a standout uh, on this album, and Let's Get Rock being number two. This second half is where it it earns. It really earns its, its, its March Badness. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say make love like a man uh, was enough, but yeah, you're right. We get fucking really bad on side two, and that is as soon as you flip it over. If you still were buying cassettes and you were pretty sad at this point, you are about to stand up and kick love into motion. Yeah, I this song is garbage. <sighs> this 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 is like I, I don't even know. Should I pull up some of these fucking lyrics? It would just. They went heavier on the the ballads and like you know even when they they did ballads before like but they had songs like Love Bites which is kind of a, a a darker song even Hysteria's got a little bit of an edge to it um, you can go back to uh, uh, what was that Bringing on the Heartbreak is is got some beef to it too everything on here is more like you know adult contemporary it's just. Ugh. It really is. And, and it, can I just add a little bit of uh, more information, uh, uh, comments from the Rolling Stone interview that will, will counter your, your comments? Yes. Adrenalize is so relentlessly catchy that it almost seems as if the band is about to abandon its heavy metal roots for the greener mm. fields of hard pop. That's not to say the album is any softer than its predecessors. Certainly, <sighs> certainly the crunchy guitars of Tear It Down or Make Love Like a Man are proved to the contrary. It's just... <laughs> That it's not as noisily aggressive. <laughs> oh my god! You know, if this isn't a press release, they definitely got vetted. You oh know what my. I mean, it's like, is this okay? <laughs> yeah, I mean, my god, that the the is about to abandon its heavy metal roots. I mean, everything here is just so such a a salesy. I imagine view. like some like production meeting at Rolling Stone where some poor writer got assigned this task. And it's like he was basically given marching orders and like he, you know, he tried to fight it, but realized that there was no way. And I just imagined him sitting down at his desk typewriter and angry out a bottle of scotch and a glass and <laughs> pouring a shot, putting it back and like, all right, let's do this. If I'm going to do this, I'm going all the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like somebody who's got to like, I don't know, make a really tough decision that's uh, going to be bad for him. But it's, you know, for the greater good. Oh, I will say that the actual writer of this, I don't, it's not the, just so you know, the guilty party is this person named J.D. Considine, which is not a name oh, I recognize. Yep. You yep. know that I name? Do. Oh, yeah. Oh, He's a big okay. time writer. Okay. Well, I, I didn't notice you sold, that. You, you sold out, J.D. Yeah. 1992, April 12th. That was the day you sold out. Just remember that. <laughs> that was a day. I'm going to write a song about that. That's going to be better than everything on this record. <laughs> maybe we, maybe there should be a concept album of, of, uh, of this this writer, just his descent and adrenalized being like that that part where everything changed in their life. Yes, 
Sure. Nah. Yeah, it's like this is the day I, I basically the like the the wall fell down in Germany because of this. I don't know. I my timeline's off there a bit. <laughs> it's all right, uh, Mr. Gorbachev. All right. Uh, yeah, stand up, kick, love, and emotion. I I I know it's a song. I've heard it. It it's stand it's there. up, kick, love, and emotion. By the you way, know, I, honestly, the, look. I think they, they they really need to get away from some of those signature choruses. Um, it it gets really stale when they do it as much as they do. It's not just that. It's also the fact that I don't really listen to albums to get an instructional guide of things to do. He's telling me he's telling me he's asking questions. Do you want to get rocked? He's instructing me to make love like a man. He's telling me to stand up. I don't I don't feel I, I'm sitting down. You know what I mean? It's too much. Yes. How how do you kick love into motion? What are the instructions in the in this song? Well, you gotta basically you start at the corner and tear across, and then uh, uh, pull out gently. Make sure you just kind of slide it down. You can practice on a banana. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you kick love into motion. I thought it was actually just you have to dance with a broom. Uh, well, yeah, that's part of it. You know, that's that's uh, that's rehearsing. And then after this track, we get to track seven. So we're 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 getting through that. And the track seven is uh, possession is nine tenths of the law. Yes. Yeah. I, I I can't believe this song, even for the time. You know, I know we're a little more touchy about these things now, but I don't ever remember like calling a human being your personal property was ever like acceptable in my lifetime. This is kind of fucked. This is. I, I get they're trying to be clever and stuff like that, but uh, this is I don't know. Uh, this is fucking gross. I do not know this song. Again, I can't, I cannot hum the song. Can you? That's the thing too. Is that? Yeah, even, yeah. No, this one. She's personal property. Personal property. And then these are great lyrics: personal service, personal touch, exclusively mine. Thank you so much. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Do you keep her? Does he keep his girlfriend or wife like locked up in a box? Like you know, I'll be home in a few hours. Just sit. Don't touch anything. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Pulls her out when he's hungry or horny. Flat out, I don't get offended by too much, and it's okay to be offended, as you know. Uh, but fuck this, this is this is gross. You know, spine crushing, tongue tying, personal property. Yeah, she belongs to me. The but fuck on Wikipedia. The thing I think that's kind of interesting though is this song was actually originally written for uh, the movie Misery. <laughs> yeah, there we go. It should have been the fucking song they played over the credits. 
Or maybe they could have done some kind of funny montage where Kathy Bates like uh, dressed him up in different outfits while they played this song. Yeah. So I mean, then you know what? If they would have wrote it for that purpose, I'd put it in context and I'd be okay with it. This is the audio equivalent of being uh, clubbed in the foot by Kathy Bates. Anything else on this song? No, it's garbage. It's as good as everything else on here. It it sucks. But but again, it, the, the thing that's that's even if this album, with this album being as bad as it is, I still should be able to hum all ten of these songs. Like not even like them, but with the production and the what they were going for, I'm sure with the uh, with the production and everything is they should be at least be memorable. And like you say, catchy doesn't mean good. But not, these aren't even catchy. You know, I think I don't think you gave it a really good listen then, because I, for for the most part, I remember most of these from Wilson overplaying it. But the fact that I had it, in, you know, going nonstop in my office, some of that auto recall came back. So I, I I've been fortunate to avoid this album for about three decades. But uh, for the, I, I took one for the show. You know what I mean? And sure. uh, I think they're a little little. I do think they're memorable and catchy. They're just not very good for the most part. Some of these are, are more forgettable. Like I said, Heaven Is, I don't remember. And that's one of your standout tracks. So uh, potato, potato, fuck it. That's true. Yeah. Well, um, a question for you. Again, yes. an- another question. There, why, by the way, this one should have a question mark. So punctuation definitely gets a uh, uh, points taken off. Have you ever needed someone so bad? That is a question. Have I ever wanted to press the next track button so bad? No. No. It's a game I just can't win. Big up, breathing soft on my skin. Still you won't let me Any other thoughts on this song? <laughs> uh, this was written by no, hey, no Steve Clark. They did him a solid here. They, they uh, what's the opposite of throwing someone a bone? Ba-boom. Yeah. Uh, Phil Collins, Joe Elliott, and Mutt Lang uh, take account take uh, are responsible for this fucking he means steep as shit. So, uh, for your contributions to the uh, I don't know dragging us back to the caves, uh, you you deserve to be stoned. And that's what I don't understand, too. I'd like to maybe, you know, more information about the fallout here. But, you know, it says executive producer. And that's the thing that's confusing to me, too, is, is you know, Mutt Lang has co-writes on all these songs except yeah. for none, I think. Some of this stuff might have been fucking like this. These literally might be the scraps of hysteria. Uh, and that's why he gets some songwriting credit on, on most of this stuff, because it might have been shit that wasn't good enough for that album, because I would say not a single song on here belongs on that album. But, uh, um, um, you know, I, if I... I probably should have found out if Billy Sheehan had any information on that. I uh, <laughs> asked him, but uh, sure. 
Um, By the way, he was asked to join Def Leppard before Vivian Campbell. They were just going to have two bass players instead of two guitar players. Oh, that would have been awesome. <laughs> Can you imagine? He no. was asked three times, and he said no. I will. He, I, he has very specific reasons why he said no. How can you make Let's Get Rocked even worse? You can have... <laughs> Him and Kotzen join in on it. <laughs> uh, here's some note vomit to add into that. Uh, yeah. Did you have anything more on this song? I, I, uh, I really don't. I, this, this second half is so... So bad. I mean, again, this is like like light rock. This is they're getting really close to air supply and 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 fucking foreigner at this point. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, and I know they they never wanted to be metal. You know what I mean? Or at least uh, Joe Elliott, once they became popular, decided that they no longer want to be metal. And I I don't really blame him because like I think. He could probably see what a lot of us see now and how stupid some of those hair metal bands of the time were. Uh, sorry, Eddie Trunk, I'm, I'm using the term. Fuck it. Uh, but, yeah, I. it just seemed like he really tried very hard to, to distance himself from people for about three decades until it became beneficial to go on tour with Poison or Motley Crue. And now suddenly they're, oh, yeah, we've always been buds. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's yeah, they, they definitely were moving over to... Um, I mean, Journey sounds heavier than they do right now. <laughs> Fuck, it, it, man. Yeah. So, it, but but then we go into what I is always a sin, and it will always be a sin, and that is the only artist allowed to use letters like pretexting uh, is who in the album Prince. titles. Okay, so we've got "I Want to Touch You" with just the U, capital U. Yeah. Um, again, a song that I cannot remember, and I've just heard the song. Again. I want to touch. Yeah. Oh boy. God, yes. 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 Balls. Yes. Yes. Okay. I do remember the song now. It is not good. Give me no reasons. Give me no rhymes. Give me that feeling all of the time. I want to touch you till we're stuck like glue. And by I the rubber way, and you are glue. Whatever you say bounces off me and sticks on you. <laughs> See, I know you had something there, but I got to tell you this much is this is why you don't let Rick Allen uh, write songs <laughs> because he is listed. He is the only, this is the only co-write he has on the entire album and he's listed first. This is why you don't let, let uh, one-armed uh, uh, drummers write songs. Can I, can I get an amen? Amen. And they, uh, they once again dragged the name of Steve Clark through the mud, uh, uh, in 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 death uh, by putting him listing him as a songwriter in this pile of shit. Uh, yeah, you, the original title of this was "I Want to Touch You with Two Hands." <laughs> yeah, he, this, he was actually writing this in his head when he crashed his car. Yeah, and he's like, at the time, he was like, "Well, I no longer have two hands. What the fuck could I do with? The, I just need to scrap it." So <laughs> That's it right. just what the integrity is of the song was ruined. It really was. Hey, I got a hot take for you. Go ahead. Def Leppard, ugly. Uh, I've I've heard I, I know uh, I've heard women over the years. Uh, I think the most recent one might be Courtney Cronin. Uh, say that they're just really hot, really attractive. I mean, I, I don't think Joe Elliott knows ha, owns a mirror. I mean, has he ever had good hair? It's like you know you can afford <laughs> a, a pretty good stylist, I would think. And yet you you went with the mullet, and now you kind of got that weird. Um, I'm waiting to talk to the manager midriff haircut. 
that a lot of moms wear. I just uh, it it and and his face is very gnarly looking. And same with Savage and uh, and Rick Allen. Um, I think uh, Steve Clark was the best looking guy in the band. Oh, he definitely looked the most rocking, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this much. I, I still remember, like, if seeing... I was going to fuck one of them underneath the stage, <laughs> it would have been him. <laughs> you just get, you'd do him? Yeah. You know, instead of a mother, mother and daughters, like, he's banging me and my, my stepson, Gary. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, now Gary's really happy I brought him into this. <laughs> Unfortunately, when you, you're making out with him, he smells like Jägermeister and vomit. <laughs> <laughs> and now so does my back. Oh! <laughs> Okay. Now, there we go. Some gross. You know, I'm just hey, trying to even things out from the misogynistic lyrics of a couple songs back. So, can I just? Uh, this is now another. That right there was another opportune moment for not my style, man. Do we want to get right? Not my style, man. I will say too that I, uh, that even back in the uh, I think the hysteria days when they would have I think they made at least what I don't remember which video. Maybe it was pour some sugar on me. They had the the video was actually in the round or something from yeah, one of their yeah. concerts. Okay. Well, I remember seeing them all on stage, and I'm like, you know, even for, like, 88, I was like, hold on for a second. Isn't it ridiculous if you're in a band and you're wearing a shirt that is the band? Like, he was Unless wearing... Unless you're Iron Maiden. Huh? Unless you're an Iron Maiden. I guess. But, but he would wear... He had, like, a... Uh, Joel would wear... In that video, I, I think it was this video, he had a Def Leppard shirt on, cut... Like uh, all the sleeves cut off of it, yep. and, and his jeans and were those all Joe Elliott pants. Yeah. yeah, he had like his his pants were all ripped and stuff like that. He looked like a drywaller, <laughs> at, you know, on stage. And I was just like, he really and, did. And, and it was just like it's just it wasn't a very. It was that's what I thought too. Is I'm like, oh yeah, the girls are really into him. I'm like, you know who looks cool? I think Motley looks cool at the time or whatever like that. Like sure. these guys, I, I never really thought looked that cool. I agree. Yeah, not a sin, but they, they they sure got credit for being like handsome young men. Look, I, I'm not surprised That's what they're I mean. getting fucking laid. Uh, they're they're rich and famous, yeah, and their faces are everywhere. Yeah, they're gonna fuck all the squish they can get, but they're not attractive. No, these these guys would not have done well without fame and money. Right. I mean, they're no Post Malone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how he does, even with my fame and money. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, any anything else besides uh, besides besides you uh, completely shaming? Uh, what, what do you call that these days? Shaming? You're 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 uh, you're bullying. You're bullying the the leopards right now. Yeah, I am. I uh, uh, I probably need to go to sensitivity training and offer formal apology. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe you just want to throw a disclaimer that the views of me are not necessarily the views of Loose Cannon. So yes, I think that, that that's good. And and it, it, you're getting me so worked up. You're going to get me all fired up, and I, I want to really tear it down, Baco.
man, you, you really missed the market. You should have been like an 80s DJ. Yeah, just, I know. Uh, with the, with right? these, these, these horrible lead-ins to these songs. So uh, <laughs> you could be Venus. You could have been uh, Dr. Johnny Fever. I, I could have. Come on. Yeah. These transitions are, are gold, man. <laughs> oh, they're as bad as this record. Um, <laughs> so it's apropos. It really is. But wait, we didn't come here for me to make fun of you. We came here to make fun of goddamn Adrenalize. And this song is the perfect way to close out a fucking garbage fire of a record, man. Um, I, I, this song, uh, it's just, it's a lazy effort. At, it's like, we need a song to close the record. Um, they started fucking, I don't know, what do you call it? Uh, when you wood shopping, like song titles. And then they just brought us, the, hey, tear it down sounds like a song you would throw at the end of a record. It sounds like one of those songs that doesn't make the record and then is used in a soundtrack. I don't know. It, it just, uh, like this was going to be in Top Gun 2. I, I don't know, Baco. I mean, what made Hysteria and Pyromania worth worth it wasn't just the fist-pumping energy, but the unabashed tunefulness that the band tied to that sheer force. Adrenalize, <laughs> by, on the, by the way, simply makes that connection more explicit, proving in the process that Def Leppard is one of the catchiest bands in rock. And if that doesn't make Adrenalize worth waiting for, I don't know what would. Um, boy, you really came up with some concise thoughts there. <laughs> I, I did. That is the finale. Of that Rolling yeah. Stone article, my lord, that press release, I mean to say. Yeah, I know. I knew it was great. Uh, yeah, it uh, it really it, it was a nice little kind of way to kind of work our way through the record and keep referencing that. It was uh, that that review kind of sums up a lot of what's wrong with this album by saying it's not. It's a formula that didn't work, but all the things that they thought would work supposedly were thrown into the little uh, the soup. Yeah, I, I, you see a lot of bands do this where they they strike gold and then they try to do it again, and that they the what what's lost on them is that the reason they were able to to do that the one time is because they weren't trying to repeat something. Um, it just doesn't work that way, you know. It 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 just I can't think of one example where someone said let's do that again and it was even close to the results of what what was great. I mean, Nikki Six recently tried to do it with uh, um, the Heroin Diaries. Uh, when when that soundtrack kind of blew up with Six AM, then he immediately got Motley Crue back together and tried to do the exact same thing with the Dirt. Yep. And and it just it didn't have that. It wasn't authentic. It wasn't real. It wasn't a new idea. It was just regurgitating the process. And this they are very formulaic from beginning to end on this song on this record from the cover to the title to the uh, uh, the, the production uh, and the sound and everything. There really was. This is just them trying to say, you know, it's like when Paul Stanley talked about Sonic Boom and said, I went back and tried to write songs like that sound like Love Gun or Rock and Roll Over. And it's like, well, that's your mind isn't there anymore. You've had a world of experience since then. You just you can't replicate something great by just walking through the same doorway. You know what I mean? This this album shouldn't have been called Adrenalized. It should be called Sterilized. Yeah, no doubt. That's a great. Uh, I would. I think it would be apropos. I've used that word yeah. twice now. Yeah, and and, it, and and nowadays it would have instructions for uh, how to wash your hands for twenty seconds to kill all the germs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 
what, what, what song you, on here do you sing while you're washing your hands to make sure you got 20 seconds? Oh, easily make love like a man <laughs> over and over again <laughs> because I'm angry. I hate washing my hands. I like leaving little pieces of poop on it, you know, <laughs> just for the next guy. Oh, Spreading the disease, man. Come oh. on. What about you? Are you are you doing that, or or which which or do you want to do? I'm probably wanna... gonna go with Let's Get Rock, just because that's the only one that uh, I I don't have to struggle to remember. Okay, uh, it just got beat into the oh the atmosphere a little like just like coronavirus. This was everywhere uh, when it came out. So. I want you to actually sing it out loud though in a, in a public restroom when you're washing your hands. And well, then but... it's got if you're gonna sing it out loud, it's got to be Make Love Like a Man. <laughs> I don't know. I think it would be. I would think it would be. It would be Let's Get Rock, but you do the switch and you do the. Uh, you think a blowjob's out of the question. <laughs> <laughs> and then some dude in the crapper's like, that was awesome. <laughs> All right, man, you want to get out of here? Yeah, I need to uh, palate cleanse my brain right now. We'll get out, out of the adrenalized phase. So Please, yes. Here we go. Rock's not dead. But it abandoned its heavy metal roots for the greener fields of hard pop. Then they flip the script and they go into a bit of law where they say that that ownership is uh, what three tenths of law. Yeah, so, or, uh, what is uh, it? Possession what, what's that phrase. P- on, p- possession is nine tenths of the law. Let me say. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hey, you didn't but, remember it. No, I know, but I, then now you fucking, want you to do that. You, you should leave this in that I'm feeding your lines to you. <laughs> Line. <laughs> It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Points.